If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you'll know that we've been doing a series about, um, about mission. And we've covered all kinds of things. We've uh, covered um, what the mission of God is as a large kind of theological concept. Um, we've talked about um, evangelism in various ways and what forms that that takes, um, including being a, a, you know, a, a good neighbor and a, and a decent human being. Um, but what I'm going to focus on today is... Uh, it is practical ways of communicating the gospel to people. And when I say that, I mean, um, I mean, talking to people who are maybe unchurched um, about um, the content of the gospel. And what I mean, what I'm talking about is th- this is not a um, this is not a about evangelism through you know, kindness. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. That's definitely really important. But it is literally about you're in a situation where someone wants to know what you believe. What do you tell them? Like what what is in a mission statement? What is the gospel? And how do we um, make that easily understandable um, to other people? I don't necessarily feel, I didn't anyway, feel like I was the best person to to talk about this because I'm not an evangelist. Well, I'm not a, we're all called to evangelism, but I wouldn't say that that was where my main area of gifting is in. However, a few weeks ago, I felt really God speak to me about a few things that I could share. Um, uh, One of those things includes um, apologetics, which has always been an interest of mine. Um, I'll get on to what that means later if, if you don't know, but I've had an opportunity to do that on, on, on several occasions based on m- my own circumstances. So I'll, I'll share a bit about that um, as well. So I want to direct us, first of all, to a verse in Romans. Uh, so this is Romans chapter 10. Um, actually, I think we'll read the, um, the whole bit, but that's verse 14 really is the verse that I want to focus on, but I feel like it will give us context. So I'm just going to turn to that in my Bible and read that to you. Um, I do have a plan for a little bit of audience participation, but it's not yet. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll happen. Okay, um, so Romans 10, 9 to 15 If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the Lord, uh, the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the name of the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And um, so the, first of all, I just want to focus on the bit that says, how can they call on the one who they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Um, regardless of how kind we are to people, 
how much we pray for them, how much we, you know, pray for them, like either with them or in private, um, or, or any of that. However good a friend we are, they're not necessarily going to call on Jesus as their Lord if they don't know who he is and they've never heard about him. And that's where um, explaining that becomes quite critical. So at some point, Jesus has to become the focus of the conversation. That's the point that Peter's making here. Um, And so I think it's important that we prepare in advance, to some extent, what we're we're going to say to people. Um, Now, someone might say, we don't need to prepare anything because... In Luke 12:11 it says this when you are brought before synagogues rulers and authorities do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say for the holy spirit will teach you at that time what you should say so you might be tempted to say don't need to worry I'm I've got this the holy spirit's got my back on this one I don't need to prepare anything I disagree with that and here's why because the verse says do not worry about how you will defend yourself. It is not saying, do not prepare anything in advance because the Holy Spirit will take the wheel. I believe that um, I believe that this verse is, an in- is not encouraging us not to prepare, but it is, in fact, grace for us so that because we can't possibly prepare for everything and where we don't the Holy Spirit has us covered. Um, I also feel like in the preparation, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So in reading our Bibles, in thinking about how we're going to talk to people about God, about Jesus, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through that moment and gives us that inspiration. Um, So I feel like in preparation, we're actually giving the Holy Spirit a place to prepare us for that. So anyway, that, that's, just an, that's just an aside. But picture this scenario. We have a non-Christian friend we've been praying for for years. They know we're a Christian. We've been a good friend to them. You're pretty tight. You show them kindness. You often, often offer to pray for their circumstances. And you've even brought them to barbecues at church and games of rounders and things like that. Um, but conversations about Jesus has, have been rare up till now. And then one day... They ask for the details of your faith. So what do you say to them? What um, is it that you say? It's actually sometimes, from my perspective, a blood-curdling thought. Like, if somebody says, go on then, tell me what you believe. It's, a, it's you know, it's, for me, it's, I don't know if you feel the same. It's heart-stopping. It's, it's, like, um, it's like, I'm just going to put you on the spot now. Like, what is a Christian? What do you believe? And it's just tongue-tied. But I think if we prepare in advance, then it, it helps. Um, so I was doing a bit of research in preparation for this, and one website said, um, they said that we can summarize the gospel in these few words. God loves us and wants a relationship with us. The only way is through Jesus, his son. I think this is a good start. I think it's a bit overly simplistic, but maybe I like to multiply words, so I don't know. Anyway, they do expand on that, and then they give these bullet points. So God loves us. Jesus gave his life to save us. God raised him from the dead. 
And by turning around, repenting and trusting in Jesus, we can be forgiven, healed and made his children. So there's something for us to start with. Um, and having a brief understanding like this can be good as a foundation to our discussion. On top of that, I feel like it's important that we share our own experiences, to so tell our own story about how we encountered Jesus. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because that's going to be different for all of us and we'll be here for hours. So um, I'm just going to say, do think about as well when sharing the gospel, how you can bring in your own story, because I think that's really important. Um, it makes, definitely makes it less abstract. However, there is also a, a useful pictorial way of sharing the gospel, and um, we used to call this the Arna diagram. It turns out it actually occurs in a few places on the, um, the internet, so um, I've decided to well, I saved the file on my computer as the arrow diagram, and you'll see why in a minute. I spent about 20 minutes making the animations for these, and if they don't work now, well, I'll be a little disappointed, but there we go. Oh, they haven't worked. It's all come up at once, so I'll just have to talk you through it. What I could do is I could, um, uh, I can make it, um, anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I'll, I'll think of a solution um, for, for future, but let me talk through it from... It all like popped up one at a time. It's can we? Is there a way around it? Okay. It doesn't matter. I, I think for the sake of for the sake of brevity, I'll just talk through it as it is now, and then I could maybe sh show later what it looks like animated, or at a later date. It's it's fine. We haven't missed out. It's not your only chance to experience the beauty of this particular PowerPoint slide. Okay, so um, I would start off by draw, literally drawing this out I'll, um, on, on a piece of paper, and I'm going to start at the top left, okay? And I'm going to draw God and humans together. Why? Because the Bible tells us that in the beginning, um, when God made humanity, he had a plan for us to have a perfect relationship with him without going off on in, into too much theology. I... I don't believe that Adam and Eve were at the peak of their relationship before they fell. I, d I think there was more for them to move into, and they just never moved into it. Okay, so there's that. But, th so, but God had an intention for them. He had a plan for them, and, and, and it was represented by this top arrow here. Okay, so this top arrow is one path that we could potentially live um, our lives in. The problem is that humans chose not to walk with God, and... Um, and, and so that led to a broken relationship, which we, um, we say is caused by sin, at which point the word humans would now drop down here, and they'd be on this path at the bottom. And this path is the path that we are all on before we know um, God. But we may try in our lives to, um, to get back to God through maybe we try some... Religion, doing some religious things, like going to church, giving to the poor, um, observing certain festivals, saying token prayers now and again. We may try giving to charity. We may try various forms of philosophy. However, none of our good deeds will help us to get back onto this path. 
Instead, and this is where the animation would have absolutely done us a solid here, um, is because this would animate down like doo, 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 showing that actually for us to have a restored relationship with Jesus, God sends Jesus down to earth in this path. Okay? And so Jesus comes to um, earth and he shows us how to live, but more importantly, he dies to um, take our separation from God onto himself so that our relationship can be restored. Imagine somebody getting like branded with hot iron and they have this curse on them and then Jesus takes that curse onto himself, okay? And in dying for us, um, he makes the way to the Father open so that we can have a restored relationship. Next animation, this line goes up here and like makes the, opens the doorway to, for us to get back onto this path into a restored relationship with God. And then we continue on that line with God forever. Of course, there's a cutoff point. There is a cutoff point. We only have a certain amount of time to make this decision. Otherwise, we're on this bottom line. And then the question you draw, so you draw that out for someone, and then you say afterwards, and the question is, which path are we going to choose? And you've left the question open. So that's one way you could share the gospel, which I think is quite useful, especially if you're um, into visual stuff. Okay? Now, here's another method. Now, this is the time for audience participation. Um, so... I, now, I brought my Bible because I've got it written out in my Bible, but I think that's just to show you that I do have a paper Bible and that I have written in it, but otherwise we don't really need it. Um, so, <clears throat> um, so this is what I call the letting the Bible speak for itself method. Okay? Um, so I think it would be good if we read a verse each. Now, the principle of this method is, you've got to do, this is your bit of preparation beforehand, okay? You can have it in a paper Bible or you can have it, or you could just have it written down in your um, in your notes on the um, uh, uh, maybe in your phone or something. But you know, have have these verses recorded somewhere. The the reason why I think a pay, paper Bible works well with this will become apparent in a moment. But this is what you should do. Okay, let's imagine you've got your paper Bible, and so on Romans three twenty three. I don't need to have that in my hand. In Romans three twenty three, I I go to that verse in the Bible and I highlight it, or I underline it. I need, the, the key to this is I need to know where that verse is. Okay? I need to know that it starts on that verse, because if you don't, then it takes a bit longer to, to, to find it. Okay? And then at, at that verse in my Bible, I've written down next to it, Romans 6.23, I've written that reference, and more importantly, I've written the page number. And this is why, is because if someone has never picked up a Bible before, they won't know where the different books of the Bible are. Like, where, where, is, where is Romans? Well, that's in the same book, so it's easy. But when you get onto John, is John before Romans or after Romans? Forget all that. It's just a barrier to someone accessing what you're going to tell them. So um, instead, um, have the page numbers written. And this is important because you're going to get the person who you're sharing the gospel with to do all the work here and the Bible, and the, you're going to let the Bible, what I'm saying is, they are going to pick it up for themselves, you'll see how it works, they're going to pick it up for themselves, you're not going to be preaching to them, 
I think that's pretty critical. Okay, so next to each of these verses, you've got written the next one. So they start at Romans 3.23, and then they turn to 6.23, and then they go to John 3.3. 6.23 tells them to go to John 3.3. John 3.3 tells them to go to John 14.6, etc. Okay, so rinse and repeat until you get to the end. And Revelation 3.20 doesn't have a verse next to it, but it does have a question. You don't have to write that, but you do need to know what the question is. And I'll get on to that in a moment. So let's do this together. Um, right, I'm going to start at this side of the room. So, Rachel, please could you, will your children participate in this as well? You just need to, so we're going to, yeah, we'll go in order. So maybe, Dan, if you do 6.23, and Amy, you do John 3.3. 3. And so this is, this is how you should do it. So I'm going to model now how it works. Is, are we going to run out of people? If you really want to be involved, we can make that happen. Okay. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, Rachel. So Romans 3.23. So imagine Rachel is the person that I am. So they have said, so what's the gospel about? And I'm going to say, we're going to tell you. At which point, that's a bit, you no, just, I'm, just, I'm just acting. It's okay. You don't have to take it. Um, they may think, um, oh, no, I've got to read the whole Bible. You don't. You just have to read these seven verses. Right, go. Right, sorry, I'll give you the microphone. All right. uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, no, hang on a sec. So then I would, this is why I have to say to you, what does that, without going into a huge theological lecture, what does that verse tell you? Um, yeah, that everyone's in the same boat. I guess everyone has done wrong and falls short of, falls short of God's standard. That would say 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same question again, Dan, is what does that verse say to you? Uh, sin is not very really good because it can kill you. Great. Okay. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Amy, what does, what does that verse say to you? Um, I think, saying like, you need to be really free of sin. I don't know. I mean, the, the, verse, the verse kind of speaks for itself. And at this point, you can, you can help them out a bit, but try not to put the words in their, um, in their, in their mouth. The, the Bible pretty much speaks for itself with these verses. And it's because Jesus said, in order, to, um, in order to enter the kingdom, you need to be born again. You, you need to start again. Okay, so the first two verses outline, we've got a problem here. And this is the beginning of the solution. You need to be born again. Okay? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, after, after each thing I will say, I'll say, what does that say to you? Which says to me that Jesus is the only way to be restored to God. Romans, Romans 10, 9 to 11. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I've got a really long one here, haven't I? I um, think actually, we could <laughs> probably just stick with Romans 10.9 for that. We probably don't need the rest of it. Okay. So basically, it's saying that they need to, or humanity, people need to say out loud and they need yeah. to say publicly that they uh, that they believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead and um, and that they'll be saved because of that. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Jean, yours is 2 Corinthians 5.15. Thank you. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Um, that says to me that uh, every, everyone can be included and... Um, It's it's living Christ's way rather than your own way. Yeah. So this um, th this verse is probably the most the one that you might need to give them a, a bit more help with. But it's it's the idea that um, so they've they've made the public confession that Jesus is Lord. They believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead. But now they need to realize that actually it's a it's a new life that we live in, and we can't just do it. It's not just a We've then got to live a new life, which obviously that the rest of the Bible unpacks, but that verse kind of introduces it. Okay, and Steve, if you wouldn't mind, Revelation 3.20, thank you. This is uh, Jesus speaking, and he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. So to me, that means this is an invitation. Jesus is saying, um, I'm here. All you have to do is answer. Um, I'm calling you. If you choose to call me, I'll come in. I'll be your friend, and you can be with me forever. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Steve. And after they have read that verse and said those things, then the last thing that you have to say to them is, do you want to open the door? Or something like that. Anyway, so that's so that's this method, which takes a bit of preparation. I really like it. I have used it with people before, um, and I've said the question, "Do you want to open the door?" And they've said no, or they've said, "I'll think about it." But it doesn't matter because you've. It's not our job to convert people. It's just our job to say say the words. And um, and so and so that's um, that's that. Now I want to take us to another passage. I think we're meant to finish at twelve. I feel like I might run over a little bit. I hope that's okay. Um, I'll try not to speak for too long. Um, One Peter three eighteen to seventeen. But I'm just going to read this particular 
bit, but this occurs in this passage. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, this leads me on to the subject of apologetics. And sometimes it's not just enough to tell people the gospel message. What we also need to do is support it. Um, there are many people who think that we have thrown our brains in the bin entirely. And they think that what we believe, and one of my colleagues thinks this, although I've, I think I've convinced him otherwise now because he knows that I'm also a man of science, um, that, he, that he thinks that it is like, it is like a fairy tale. And, and it is completely, utterly made up. And I think it's some people need that answer. And so this is where apologetics comes in. What is apologetics? Apologetics means the defense of the faith. And it comes from the Greek word apol apologia, apologia, which means, just means defense. And it's like the defense that a lawyer would give of a defendant in the, um, in the court. Um, in every generation, people face the challenges and questions and concerns um, of the, the gospel message of the Christian faith, and it's up to us to, um, to defend it, not, not just to strengthen our own faith, but also to, to, convince, to help convince um, other people um, as well. And, and often we are fighting a lot of misconceptions that people have about what the Christian faith is. Um, what I would just start off by saying, though, is... The purpose of apologetics, I do not believe, is to win arguments. I do not think that by give, delivering a verbal smackdown to people, we necessarily advance the gospel. Maybe it does work with some people. I don't think it does, particularly. What did Peter say in this verse? Answer with gentleness and respect. In some cases, we have to lose in order to win. And what I mean by that is sometimes... We have, to let we have to just not answer and let people speak, listen to people, listen to their story, listen because their story of their life informs their beliefs. Something might have happened to them in the past which explains why they are in their certain place. And I think, we just, I think it's, it's more effective to just listen and hear what that is and just, and just take it in and to just be there for them. But at the right time, there is an answer that we can give with gentleness and respect. But winning an argument and saying, ha, told you so, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way to go. Okay. So, we may be, someone may say this to us. You have no scientific evidence to support your faith. And you know what? To a large extent, they are right. The evidence that we support our faith with is not scientific because scientific evidence is to do with data collected. It is repeatable. It is reproducible. It is about one person doing an experiment that someone al already has done and collecting the and getting the same result. The evidence for Christianity is legal historical evidence and there is plenty of it if you know where to look. Um, so I will mention a little bit um, about that. But let me also say that the battleground that we are on um, is not necessarily 
Um, it shouldn't necessarily be, we should always try and bring it back to Jesus is what I'm trying to say. So they might argue with us about science or they might bring up a valid point about, um, uh, I don't know, about creation or something, but we should always try and steer the conversation back to Jesus. I'll give you an example of that. Um, once uh, in a lesson, actually more than once, a student, a student said to me, I hear you're Christian. How can that be? You're also a scientist. Surely, the, um, surely Christians believe that the world was made in seven days, and scientists believe that the Big Bang created everything. What's your answer to that, sir? And my, my answer would be, well, actually, I don't believe those things contradict um, at all. I think, have you considered the idea that actually the, the method that God used to create everything could have been uh, the Big Bang. Um, but I would say, but you know what? Christians aren't really concerned with, we don't get together every week and debate the finer points of creation. What we're concerned with is who was Jesus? And actually, on that, the, the occasion I'm thinking of, the girl said, well, that's easy. She was, he, was the, he was the son of God. I'm like, bingo. That's, that's what we're talking about um, here. Um, so bring the conversation back to, uh, back to Jesus. But if I was to just break down my, um, my beliefs um, logically to a skeptic, I would do it this way. I would say, Jesus of Nazareth was a real person in history. Let's start there. Okay? Some people say, I don't think he, he exists. Those people have not even looked at the secular evidence, which is this. Tacitus was a Roman historian. Josephus was a Jewish historian from those times, and they wrote about Jesus. He's not just mentioned in the Bible. He's in secular sources as well. In fact, they, they even mentioned that he was crucified. Okay? So, they, so he was a real person in history that is acknowledged by non-Christian, by extra-biblical sources. That's important because it means that he's not just a phantom that we've created somewhere down the line. Okay? But if he did exist, then what was he like? Well, the Gospels explain to us what he was like. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written by either people who knew him, Matthew um, and John. They knew him quite well because they were his disciples. Mark was a, we believe, was a, do you know, sorry, I can't think of a better word, minion of Peter. <laughs> he was like an associate. Um, subordinate, no. A supporter, apprentice, maybe. Anyway, he was close to Peter, so he got Peter's point of view. Uh, thank you, Julianne. And, um, and uh, Luke uh, knew people who knew people. He did a lot of research, okay? But, they, but anyway, so they have good reason to communicate what, um, what Jesus was, was really like because they were around at the time and they had uh, good sources or they were close to him. And so we can take their, their gospels as as truth. And C.S. Lewis commenting on what the Gospels tells us, saying that there's only three possible conclusions when we study the life of Jesus. He was either insane, a total madman, he was a liar, or he was who he says he was. The Bible does not give us any other options, and I think we'll agree it's the bottom one. He was the Messiah. Um, and if people accept that, then we can go back to the gospel messages that I shared earlier and, and whisk them on the way. But someone may say, well, how do we know that the gospel accounts were not invented? And I want to remind you that um, if we know anything about what the, um, 
uh, early Christian tradition, or what even some uh, the Bible sometimes says, uh, is uh, is that um, uh, the people who were writing these gospels did not necessarily have a particular happy ending in terms of their life on earth. We believe Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to refute Christianity and um, many other similar stories. But here's the point. If you made it up, why would you die for it? Why would you die? Okay, game's up. Yeah, sure. I had you go in there for a while and it was fun while it lasted. But yeah, Jesus wasn't like that. I totally made it up. He didn't. He went to his death believing it because nobody dies for something that they just made up. Something that they knew was, was, was a lie. Okay? So I think that's, that's, an, important, um, that's an important point to make. Um, anyway, the next bit that I want to mention, and I haven't got long left, is the area of textual criticism. So how do we know that it hasn't been changed? Like, surely the Bible's just like, um, just like Chinese whispers. It's been made up. It's been, yeah, sure, it was true at the time, but after translation, after translation, it was, it was, um, it, it's been changed into something, something else. Um, we can check what it was like a long time ago by looking at original manuscripts which we have a lot of, but we'll get on to that. Textual criticism is actually a science of looking at ancient texts. And it says that an ancient text is going to be more reliable if two facts are true. One, it's got more manuscripts, or a lot of manuscripts, and two, um, the manuscripts are close to the date, um, the manuscripts that exist are close to the date at which it was written. Okay, now, um, there's some Greek texts, one author of which was Herodotus, and these are accepted academic texts in universities and schools. They're just taken, they're not questioned at all. They're just taken as, for want of a better term, gospel. Um, and uh, so Herodotus wrote his work in the 5th century BC, and his earliest manuscripts are actually from, that we have are actually from 900 AD. So there's no manuscript that exists before that. And that's, so that's a 1,300-year time gap between the manuscript that exists now and, um, and when, it was, when it was written. And also, there's eight copies of those. Eight, okay? Tacitus, which we mentioned earlier, a Rome historian, wrote about 100 AD, but his earliest manuscripts are 1,000 years later, and there's about 20 copies of those. New Testament manuscripts, which were wrote between 40 and 100 AD, have a very small gap between actually when they were written and the manuscripts that we have. We have, archaeologists have in their possession, manuscripts that go back to 130 AD. That's pretty close to when the actual events happened and a lot closer than the others that are just taken as true. Not only that, there are partial manuscripts and complete manuscripts added together, 24,600 of them approximately. That's quite a lot. So um, with that, we can conclude that the Bible is, there's, there's, there's a lot of manuscripts to go off. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of evidence. And we can be certain about the accuracy, the authenticity, and integrity of the Bible, which has been passed down to us. I'm going to conclude in a moment, because that's quite a, quite a lot of information um, to process. Um, 
Actually, my concluding statement I kind of already uh, I kind of already made uh, uh, earlier, which was you know we don't always have to um, win the argument or have the final words, but just and we don't always have to um, you know le leave a it's okay to leave a situation with someone thinking okay yeah I'll go on, I'll go away and think about that you've given me a lot of information to go on there I'll go away and think about it that's actually a pretty good place to be if someone then at this stage would say to us. I'm sorry, I'm still not interested. I think having done some of the things I've said or, or alternative, I, I, we've done our bit, we've planted the seed. Pray the Holy Spirit will do his work in that area, okay? So that's, the, that's what I wanted to share. I had a few questions to discuss, but because of time, I'm just gonna leave these here. I'm just gonna leave these as food for thought. Maybe you could go away this week and think about them. And when I, the first one says, evaluate the gospel sharing methods shared today that I said. And if you come back to me and said, Matthew, I think there's room to improve those, I am totally willing to modify my methods and, and, and new ones. I think that's, um, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not too precious about them. It's just the ones I have at the moment, just part of my toolkit. Um, yes, so I hope you got something useful out of that. I hope um, that is something that you can use um, with other people. Um.